uh, I'm really excited to be here with you, all of you today, uh, on a record travel uh, weekend for the United States. 44 million people are traveling uh, this weekend, but we are not. We are all here, so it's very, very cool. Uh, I love July. I just wanted to this actually has nothing to do with anything, but, but it is July. I absolutely love July. Things that I love happen in July. Uh, number one, the Tour de France happens. So anybody watching the tour? The tour, all right. Three of us, so that's cool. Uh, uh, yes, it's a big event. All the fans can sit in one living room. Uh, so that's good. So that's good. I also... Uh, uh, this, is a, this is from coming from Los Angeles. Uh, there's two things that I, I thought I knew in Los Angeles that, that I, I actually realized I didn't know by moving to the south, and that was peaches and watermelons. Like, dude, I remember the first Georgia peach I had. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> I'm like, it, looked as, it looks the same, but it's not the same. And then watermelon's like the same thing. Like, I was like, yeah, watermelon. Like, I actually like Jolly Rancher watermelon things. You know, that was about as good as a California watermelon. And I, I eat so much watermelon. I, I cannot, and in and, and July, at least, you know, I wasn't raised in this, but it seems like July, they're the best tasting in July, right? Is that right? So that's true. Okay, well, we got that. So, uh <laughs> I don't know, anything else in July that you guys look forward to that, anybody? Huh? Fireworks, okay, cool. Fireworks. Uh, I have a, uh, uh, I have like childhood pain with fireworks uh, because whenever I go to a fireworks show with my, my mom, she, she would sit there and she'd just be like, ooh, ah, Ooh, and that was like, and I, I, I don't know, it just, it was kind of crazy, and, and I was like, just watch the fireworks, but she really loved fireworks, and I was like, kind of like a little spoiled brat, like I just didn't get the whole ooh-ah thing. What else? Barbecues, Barbecues absolutely. What kind of uh, dead animal do you like to eat? <laughs> <laughs> what? Bradley sausage. Bradley sausage. So somebody told me that you can actually go on Tuesday and watch them kill the pig that you're going to eat on Wednesday. No? All right. I, this is, uh, yeah, Pastor Eric, you get like the root Greek words. With me, you get, you know, barbecue. So, okay. Anything else on that? Is there anything I'm missing? Wimbledon. Yeah. Wimbledon, okay. That's tennis, right? I think you could put all the tennis fans and the cycling fans in one living room. We could have a double header. It'll be cool. We'll have a barbecue. We'll get like a half a pound of burger. Uh, eat everyone. So July, you know, I actually, I really love July, and, and July uh, is, is awesome. So, but thank you for being here today as we continue our series, Under the Sun. Uh, as much as I uh, love July, uh, the book Ecclesiastes has never uh, really been like a book that I like would resonate toward. Like a lot of anybody like book Ecclesiastes, like you want to do the wave or be like, whoop, whoop. No, I, yep. Okay. So 
I, I think it's definitely, you know, it's, it's one of these things that King Solomon was, he wrote this, and he's writing it at, at the end of his life, and he's a little bit jaded. I mean, again and again and again throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, he's, he's writing like, this is meaningless, and this is meaningless, and, and everything, and, you know, and, and I get it, you know, those of us, uh, you know, who are a little bit older, you know, you, you start to get a little bit jaded when, when you know, your, your, your eyebrows are, are growing longer hair than on top of your head, and, 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 and things like that, and you just start to, you know, look at things and really start to reflect on what really is the meaning of life. And it's kind of cool if you look at it at the perspective of you have the wisest man who ever lived, and he's at the end of his life, and he's really going back and asking these hard questions of, of, of what is true, what is, what is good, what should I be focusing on? And I was actually really happy that I got to uh, talk about Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 12 today, and that's where we're going to be, so you may want to open your Bibles to that, where he's really talk, talking about, you know, what are you working for? Like, what is your life about? And if you've been around E3 for any length of time, there's probably going to be some themes that you've heard and maybe even some examples that you've heard before. And I just really felt that they're worth revisiting, uh, really because the Scripture prompts us to look at these things and ask these questions. So King Solomon writes this in verse 7. I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. And this, you know, especially this is probably out of the, all the writings in, in Ecclesiastes resonates with me the most because I really bought into this kind of this idea of achievement when I was a young man. Just trying to drive and, and try to achieve and accumulate and, and things like, like that. And here you have King Solomon saying it, it's, me, it's meaningless just to, to accumulate and not impact other people, that, that your work is meaningless. And there, there's a long list of, of people who have been extremely wealthy or successful that really have not left an impact. And really what... what we're going to see through the text and also just through kind of life experience today uh, is this idea that, you know what, work is good and being successful is good, but those are only, those are tools in order for you to impact and bless your loved ones and the world. And the the reality is that, that all of us, you know, we've talked about this before, but you know, the reality is that we all have an expiration date. In America, right about now, 
the mortality rate is running about just at 100%. Okay, it just is. And you can go to any um, cemetery, you can see, you know, a, a, a tombstone or, or a grave marker, and you're going to see a birth date and an explana explanation date. <laughs> I died because. Uh, expiration date. What happened was. <laughs> uh, and you have that hyphen in the middle. And we've talked about this, but I think I want to, I want to re- visit this, and I actually uh, have some expanded ideas on, on this, this idea that really all we have control over, any little bit of control over, is that dash in the middle. What is that dash going to mean? I wanted to share with you a poem, I didn't write it, uh, by Linda Ellis. Does anybody know this uh, poem? It's called The Dash. I just came across it, and um, I wanted to read it to you guys. I th it's all about the dash in the middle, and it goes like this. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke the following date with tears. But then he said what matters most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time that they spent alive on earth. And now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real, and always try to understand the, other, the way other people feel. We'll be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, Remember that this little special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read, with your life's action to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? You know, I, when I read that poem, and I read it several times, uh, and each time I, I read it, I thought it was, it was just more profound, just and how poetically they, they put these ideas, these ideas that, that are so heavily represented in one small line, that we know that Mildred was born on September 24th, 1918. And she died on October 7th, 1988. 
But, and we know that she was a mother. But only her kids and her, and her husband knew what that dash represented to them, what legacy, legacy that she left. And as we look today about what we work for, what are we doing? Are we, are we working hard just to accumulate things for ourselves? Or are we working hard to create a legacy for the future? And I think this dash, you know, uh, there's, there's really three types of dashes that, that we all live in and, and, and can have. And I actually, I was really excited about this. This was not for me, but it's going to work for me. It's going to represent our dash, and it's really heavy. But the first dash is what I call the thin dash. And this is, this is a dash that, that uh, represents never really taking a risk. That, that essentially you lived your life, and you may have lived it well, but you lived it very cautiously. That, that you lived it thinking that, you know what, perhaps a, you know, that line... If you, if you didn't rock the boat or that line, if you, if, if you just, you know, kind of did your job or maybe that line, you know, you accumulated, you know, a certain amount of wealth or something like that, that that would be enough. I think this is what, what uh, King Solomon would say is if that's the kind of life that you're living, if you're just kind of living to connect your birth date to your expiration date, that it's meaningless. That from the Christian worldview, from God's perspective, that you've been called for so much more. Again, my favorite verse is Ephesians 2.10, for you are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus to do the great things that he has planned for you long ago. That, that following Christ is, is not about sin management. But it's about impacting the world with Christ's love. And this idea of this kind of this, you know, just this one little dash. You know, it, it represents to me just kind of this, this, this idea of, you know, if we just settle for that, we have missed the rich and abundant life that Christ has, uh, came, who came to give to us. The next dash is the, the erect dash. And this is probably for someone with a Christian worldview is the worst type of dash. It kind of looks like an eye. And this is a, a life that, that revolves around I. I want this. I want that. Funny enough, in, in English, you know, the, 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 the center letter in the word sin is I. That all sin begins with this, 
this idea that I want to be something. I deserve this. I want this. The first sin that's recorded in the Bible is that they, it wasn't they ate some fruit. It was because they wanted to become like God's. That Eve and Adam said, I want my eyes open. I want to be like God. I deserve this. I want this. And this type of life is a life that just takes. This is the kind of life that just says, you know what, I deserve this. I deserve to be happy. I want to be first. And this is a very sad life. This is a very destructive life, biblically. That it's a self-destructive life. That maybe you'll accumulate a lot of things. Maybe that you'll be able to go along and, and have a nice car or a nice house or, or, you know, these kind of other things. But these are, this is the kind of life that, that, and I don't know how many funerals you've been to. I've been to a lot. And the saddest funerals are, are ones that are basically an empty room and just a couple of people there and nobody really has anything to say about that person's dash. Otherwise, other than maybe, you know, they made a lot of money or they did a lot, you know, they did a lot of things uh, or had a lot of adventure. But there's no one there that was significantly impacted by that person's dash. And then final dash that I want to propose to you in this dash, you're going to have to use your imagination, is the fat dash. No, that's not me running. That's, uh, <laughs> this is a dash that, that is full. And I think that this is the biblical dash. It looks more like a block. That, that is a life that, that is characterized by investing in others. It's a life that is characterized by investing in your family and not neglecting them. It's a life that, that is marked by investing in your church and being part of your church. It is a life that's marked by investing in your larger community. And having a life of abundance is found by having a life of, through generosity. And I think often, Pastor Eric was talking about the other week, about the idea of blessing and the and the. The holding on, right? Remember? And, and how when you grab on to something and you're holding on to something so tightly that God can't, you don't have an open hand to, to receive more blessings. And I think when we think about this and you think about the words of, of Solomon talking about, about just, you know, a person who just works for themselves and accumulates things, that it is all meaningless. But the good news, the gospel is that Christ came and he gave, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And I don't think that that word gave is, is by accident. I think it is a, a prompting for us to say, you know what, I, 
want to be in the image of God. I want to be an icon of God. And God is characterized by generosity. And it's the most counterintuitive thing that, that Christians have to deal with. And this is the dark place that we, we always struggle with, right? Like tithing. You know, give, giving of our first fruits to the church. It's counterintuitive and, it, and, and it's hard. Why is it hard? Because it goes back to our sin nature, the, the, the vertical uh, hyphen of uh, I. I deserve that 10%. I could direct that money better. Same thing with serving, serving others. You know what? You know, I love uh, the folks who uh, are part of Serve Tallahassee. Give your guys, yourselves a hoot hoot. <laughs> you know, that, that they spend uh, their weekends serving the under-resourced in, in our community that they've created systems to, to be able to bridge the nutritional gap for those. And, and they, they spend their time in, in giving of their time and, the, and their energy, not only to bridge the nutritional gap, but to build relationships with people, to let them know that they matter. They matter to us and they matter to God. That our church goes to them. And it's a beautiful thing. And it, it is this idea of generosity, you know, not only with your money, but, but with your time and, and even your ideas. You know, some of you, not all of you, but some of you are brilliant. <laughs> some of you are. Some of you are brilliant. And you have great ideas and you have great experience. But you've never, ever leveraged that experience or those ideas to, to help the church be the tangible hand of Christ and to, to impact people. And I, I want to challenge you guys that I, I, I get it. I, I struggle with the vertical. Man, this is heavy. I struggle with the vertical dash. We all do. If you're honest, you do. Because I like to be lazy. I like to do what I want to do. I deserve, you know, I believe I deserve nice things. This is natural. But those of us who have been called to follow Christ have been called to the supernatural. And that supernatural turns, and I'm not going to do it because it's too dang heavy, turns that I into a fat dash. And the secret is generosity. Moving from that, we move to verse 9, and, and King Solomon actually talks about uh, how this happens and, and how uh, being a lone ranger can work, but it's not as productive. He writes in verse 9, two people are better off than one. 
for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people who are married, lying close together, can keep each other warm. Don't send Eric emails about that. (laughs) But how can one be warm alone? I don't know, live in Tallahassee in July? (laughs) Might be one way. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You know, funny enough, you know, with Eric, you get um, analogies about music and soccer, socialist. (laughs) Hopefully I get, he invites me back. I love Eric. So, uh, well, and I, I actually talk about socialism. I'm going to talk about the Tour de France and, and an example about just this this principle of working together uh, and uh, and and how actually this this biblical principle that King Solomon is talking about actually plays out. And if you do watch any of the Tour de France, which I hope you do you'll kind of have a better understanding of, of, of why, why, how and why they're interacting with, with one another and the way they do, why they ride the way they do, and how that actually is a, is a, is a metaphor for how the church should operate. So the reality is that, that you know, an average trained cyclist uh, by themselves uh, can ride about 50 miles at about 20 mile per hour average, Okay. It, uh, but if you add, have those two average um, cyclists together, you know what? They can increase their speed to about 21 miles per hour uh, average. And three people, 22 miles per hour, and four people, 23. But four plus, they could actually ride 25 miles per hour or more uh, uh, average over 50 miles. And the principle is because by working together that, that they can actually increase their speed and, and, and pace and accomplish their goals better. The, the next slide is of a, of a peloton and just how uh, position affects uh, just kind of your efficiency and how fast you can go. And... Basically, when you're watching a tour de France, that, that basically that, that's the shape. And you'll see people who go out in the front and they're working really hard. They're in the red zone that they're, they're pushing really hard. But they don't stay in front the whole time. You know, the whole, you know, in the tour de France or uh, that if you're in the, if you're the first person uh, in the peloton, uh, you're not the winner. You're not going to be the winner. You're doing a job. That everybody into they're not individuals, but they're all working together. And there's several teams, and even teams sometimes uh, work together. And as you can see, the least efficient position is at the front and at the back, interestingly enough. 
And as you go back, you, uh, you, you uh, have to do less and less work. And as you can see in the blue zone there in the, in the center, these are the people who are, are doing the least amount of work or, or what a lot of times uh, they refer to as pr protected cyclists. And this is a beautiful, for me, it's a beautiful picture of the church. And I love, I actually didn't make this diagram, but I love that it's in the shape of a fish, the symbol of the church. Look at that, yeah. Uh, uh, because this is really the, how the church uh, should function. And as we're talking about just, you know, the two and three and the four work, working together. And if you're part of the church, you should be, you should identify yourself somewhere in here. And some, some people uh, in, a, in a local church, you know, they're out in front, like that front person for us right now is Pastor Eric. That he's setting the pace, he's, 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 taking, uh, he's taking the brunt of, of the wind, and he's working hard, and he's working hard and doing these things to make it it's spiritually easier for us who are farther back in the peloton of faith. You know, the, the next, you know, people could be like Lori, Pastor Lori, or um, I'm probably like the orange guy now. Uh, uh, and, uh, you, know, do, you know, just do, doing different roles. And the, and the reality is that these, you know, in a, in a biblically healthy church, those roles can change like we've seen at our church that I used to be the point leader. I used to be the one, you know, for, for 13 years that was hammering out in front. And, and, uh, and Eric was ready, and we, and we switched positions. You know, as you go farther back, you have, uh, you know, like Wise Counsel, who, who, you know, they're still uh, working really hard, um, but they have, you know, it's a, their, their, their job is to spread uh, the break of the resistance, the spiritual resistance, so it can help more. And then you have people who are actively uh, serving. And then in the center, in the church sense, you know, these are people who, who you know what, maybe they were serving hard or maybe they're tired. Maybe they're, they're, uh, they're just spiritually beat up. And maybe they just don't have the legs right now to be out in front. So they're protected. They're still part of the community. They're actually the heart, you know, of, of that community. But they just need some protection. And then you have those who are protecting them around them, but they're, you know, they're still solid in the church. And then you have, you know, these who, who are either trying to get on or, or they're falling off. And in a, in a great, you know, Peloton, and as, as a cycling coach for kids and everything, it's been interesting uh, my kids, uh, my kids in the sense of the kids that I coach, you know, I, I used to ride in front of them and protect them and, and everything. Now that they're better, you know, in real cycling, that they're, they're ahead of me. And, and what would happen when, when I was their coach, I would make sure if they were falling off, I'd fall back and try to, you know, uh, when they were on the tail and try to bring them back into the protect, protected zone. Um, they don't do that for me. I would have liked the thought that they would have, but they don't. So, like, I'm not even on the screen anymore. It's sad. But, uh, 
But this is, you know, again, this is, this is a picture that, that in, a, in a healthy, biblically functioning church, you know, as, as we move forward, that, that the principle is we can go further and faster together when we work together. And, and there's also going to be different times where different people take leadership positions. There's going to be times where the people in the blue are going to move up and, and, and be in the, in the orange or, or the yellow. And the others will fall back through different seasons of life. But the goal isn't to be at the front. The goal is to be a healthy, productive member of that local expression of Christ and work together and know what your role is and understand what your strengths are and understand what your weaknesses are so we can go forward and achieve the, the prize and of, of, of being the incarnation of Jesus Christ here in Tallahassee. So I'd like to uh, conclude with five questions um, they're not easy, but I wanted to ask them, uh, and, and hopefully you'll take the time to, to answer them. You won't have time right now, but um, think about them. Number one, how will the world be different because you were here? How will the world be different? Is it going to be better? Is it going to be worse? Does your dash, what is your dash going to represent? Who is going to be impacted by your dash as you live your dash? Number two, why is this legacy worth your life's work? I think that's such a great question, not only because I wrote it, but... <laughs> But I think it really promises, like, you know what? We're working hard. All of us work hard, but are we working hard for the right things? Is your life's work, is, it, is the legacy you're working toward, is it worth your life's work? Is, is it worthy of your dash? Number three. What are you willing to sacrifice to make your legacy a reality? Because legacies require sacrifice. Things that matter require sacrifice. If you, you want to be a great athlete, you have to sacrifice pie. You just do. You know, if... If you, you know, I just, I was talking with somebody who's trying to buy a house and they're sacrificing um, going on vacation. Things that really matter require sacrifice. And if you in your life right now are, are saying like, well, I'm not sacrificing anything. I would challenge you to really take a look at your dash. Number four. What needs to happen for your legacy to become a reality? When you look into the future and, 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 and you're thinking about your dash, what needs to happen? You know, what is it 
What, what do you want your life to be about? And then finally, which I think is, is probably um, one of the most important questions, is who will you entrust with your legacy? When I sat down with Pastor Eric over about a year ago, I sat down with him and I said, you know what? I love this church and there's only one person that I know that I would entrust this church to and that's you. Will you take it? And having that kind of clarity because if you have something that matters that you've built or you've invested your life in, the last thing you want to do is see it fail after your time is done. It makes me so happy when I was at uh, our baptism service just, you know, a few weeks ago. And seeing, you know, Callie being baptized and other people being baptized. And, the, and, and I just I had so much joy that, you know, children at E3 Kids are being taught about Jesus, that you, you know, that you guys are here, that Pastor Eric and I were just talking um, just this week, and, and he said um, uh, that we had, I think he said, uh, 112 people in growth groups. Is that right? 118 people in growth groups uh, through, you know, throughout the, out the week, St- opening up their Bibles and, and studying and being in community together. That's super cool, and, and that's super important. So those are the five things. How would the world be different because you were here? Why is this legacy worth your life's work? What are you willing to sacrifice to make your legacy a reality? What needs to happen for your legacy to become a reality? And who will you entrust with your legacy? And I want to leave you with a quote by Ray Bradbury. The difference between a person who just cuts lawns and a real gardener is in the touching. The lawn cutter might just as well not have been there at all. The gardener will be there a lifetime. To have significance, you got to get your hand in the dirt. You got to pull some weeds. You got to get crud under your nails. You got, you need to be involved. And the difference between a thin dash and a fat block is really the idea of, of, investment in putting your hands to something in a tangible way. And I became a pastor because I wholeheartedly believe in Ephesians 2.10. I believe that you are God's masterpiece. I believe that you have been created anew in Christ Jesus, and I believe you have been created anew to do the great things that he has planned for you long ago. 
that your life does matter. It is not meaningless and it is not depressing. It is what you have control over. And the difference between being the incarnation of Christ and making the world a better place and not is simply, are you going to get off the lawnmower, the riding lawnmower, and get your hands dirty? And are you going to do it with the people that God has surrounded you with? And are you going to be generous with your money and your, your talents and your ideas in order to make the vision of making it maturing and mobilizing fully devoted followers of Christ a reality here in Tallahassee. God is God of this city, and we are children of God. And God has commissioned us to go and make disciples and to baptize them and to teach them. And some of those you know, disciples are going to come and they're going to be broken and we're going to have to gently bring them into the middle of our, our peloton of faith. And hopefully that they will get fitter and, and stronger and, and they will move and, and they will do the same for others. But Christianity is not a one-person thing. It is an us thing. It is the body working together for one goal, and that is to make Jesus known in our city and known to the people who live in this city to let them know that they matter to God and they matter to us. Will you pray with me?